Hello. Got it, Justin. All right. It might uh, might do that little underwater sounding thing because I have my Bluetooth headset in. So far, you're okay. All right, cool. Looks like we are waiting on Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never ended up uh I tried watching the uh theatrical version of this, but uh I never ended up getting to it, but uh kind of know what the differences are so you mean the uh non-theatrical version yeah 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 the um ultimate cut or the director's cut whatever it's called yeah because that's the only one i tend to watch just because it's better yeah i agree yep like i think the part where uh um in the uh playground or whatever right isn't that like like that? Isn't that like extended or something? Uh, she has a dream of the world ending twice, and the second time, or the first time chronologically, it's like the ghost of Kyle Reese shows up. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that that one, um, the one with Kyle Reese, that one's not in the theatrical one, right? Kyle Reese is in the extended cut. Okay. Yeah, there's there's like four scenes. I think we'll we'll get to them, but all right, cool. Yeah, I um, like I said, when I rewatch it all the time. Yeah, I, there's uh, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, like I said, when I rewatch it all the time, it's usually the uh, um, the extended one that I watch. I think I've only seen the theatrical probably like twice. Well, I know mean, I grew up with the theatrical because that was the only one that was out on home video. But anyway. Uh, welcome everybody to the B Team podcast. I am Josh, and I am joined today by Mr. Justin Ayat. What's going on? And Mr. Brendan Kraus. Hello, hello. And this is uh, this is an early one for us. Usually we're on the night shift, but we are <laughs> down to Macy, and uh, unfortunately Brent could not be with us today. So we are going to cover Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Yeah. Justin, that was your cue to do the music. <laughs> da-da, da-da. Thank you. Uh, before we do that, we do have a quick addendum to the Terminator 1 discussion. Uh, John's, I believe, best friend, Mike, I don't know if he wants his full name out here, so I will say Mike T, uh, sent John an email and had his thoughts that he wanted to give on our discussion, mostly related to is it a time loop? Is it multiverse? Um, so I, I did read the email. John, like I said, couldn't be here. Uh, tonight he'll be going to see the new Bond movie, which we will invariably cover as well. Um, so I'm just going to paraphrase what Mike said. Now, I didn't share the email with you guys, but, you know, we can go off honor system. I can, I can send you the full body text later. Uh, the first thing he said was in regards to is it a multiverse? He went with Occam's razor, you know, the simplest solution is usually the right one. Uh, he says that there is no definitive proof in the first movie of there being a multiverse, which I think we all did kind of settle on, although I believe that if we were to use, you know, the intended cut of the movie and the original script, um, it's a little bit different. Uh, he also said that in our real world, there is no evidence of another universe and we are confined to a singular universe and anything else. And I'm paraphrasing here is usually seen as like crackpot conspiracy theory. Now, just a quick note on that. Um, I don't know if it's an issue of semantics, but I know that, you know, especially in the last decade, string theory and things like that have blown up. So there is definitely you know, discussions of things like quantum mechanics and possibility of other universes as far as even the Big Bang being, you know, coming from a prior universe into creating this one. So in the singular universe, no, there isn't really any actual evidence. Um, there are theories and suppositions and, you know, all sorts of things about 
vibrational frequencies and alternate realities, ghosts, parapsychology, all that crap. Um, but yeah, as far as definitive proof doesn't exist. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on that? And then I'll get to the second point and then we can start T2. Well, I mean, you know, you can you can say that there's like conspiracy theories and such, but uh, I mean, NASA was doing some research and they did see that uh, there were, I guess, stars or certain areas in space where uh, it seemed like there was the possibility of other universes that mirror our own. Um, so there was actual research going into this. So yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, even like I guess like you could call it a quantum thing and like the Large Hadron Collider. You know, anytime they open up even a uh, you know a simulated black hole, that is a mini other universe, whether you know it's tangible or not. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, so I mean, you can say it's a conspiracy theory just because it's a science fictiony type of thing, but. Uh, I mean, there is there has been actual research done into it, and I mean, there are actual scientists that, you know, have theories based on observable knowledge. So, I mean, I guess he's kind of half right there and half false. Um, well, he didn't say but, conspiracy theory. He just said, like, a crackpot theory, like, you know, crazy uh, science fiction. Wow. Well, Whatever. You know what I mean? Conspiracy yeah. theory, crackpot theory kind of goes hand in hand. But, uh... And then um, going on the whole, like, multiverse thing, yeah, like, in the first one, there is no actual, like, proof that there's a multiverse going on, but uh, somebody's got a reason playing at the house. Um, and uh, there's, uh, there's no proof in the first one that there's an actual multiverse, but, um, I mean, obviously, that's more of, like, uh, once you get further on through the fucking up the um, timeline and stuff like that. Like, that's where the multiverse part of it kind of talked about that in the first one. Well, we're, we're going to get into that with this movie because there is definitive yeah. evidence of it in this movie all throughout. Oh, yeah. uh, your phone oh, is yeah. starting to go underwater a little bit, so fix that if you can. Brendan, anything to add on Mike's first comment? Um, well, in terms like, you know, real world stuff, I mean, I don't know. I know... Uh, you know, Bravo Nolan himself, Chris Nolan, has been becoming more and more vindicated with his portrayal of uh, black holes over the years since Interstellar because he was definitely on s something there, especially with how they look. Um, Event Horizon did it first and better. <laughs> he, yeah, Event Horizon definitely did first, but I mean, um, oh God, what was his name? Uh, Kip Thorne. He, uh, I know he helps Nolan a lot with the, the black hole stuff, and I, I think it was like a year or two ago they came out with like the first ever like HD like photo of inside an actual black hole, and it was like it literally looked like the exact same as Interstellar. It was so, it was so weird to see. Um, but, well, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, one one final thing I'll, I'll put out there on this, and this is of course a conspiracy theory. It's ridiculous. It's just for fun. Um, I'm sure we've all heard of the Mandela effect, Mandela effect that everybody's been talking about on the socials over the last few years. Uh, about a couple months ago, one popped up where everybody was saying that they think the world actually ended either in 2012 or when they did fire up the Hadron Collider. And the quote unquote evidence for this is people not understanding where Liberty Island and Ellis Island were. And there's apparently pictures of people in front of a empty Statue of Liberty that doesn't exist. And people are using this as evidence to say that, you know, we're in a simulated universe now. So you, you can look up that one at home if you're feeling Randy <laughs> and uh, fall down the rabbit hole of ridiculous. All right. So oh, Mike's boy. second point, and I don't think any of us will have to say on this. We'll probably either agree or disagree. Because um, he, he wrote up a whole thing, and I think he thought it was kind of controversial, either for or against. But he's, he said how we were mentioning that, you know, whether it was a time loop or not, the Kyle Reese from the future carrying around Sarah's picture, um, you know, we kind of painted him like a creepy stalker, which I definitely maintain for what I'll call that version of Kyle Reese. Um, and he said what we didn't realize was the brilliant writing that the moment 
she has that picture taken at the end of the movie in 1984 is when she's talking into the tape recorder about how she fell in love with him, how, you know, though they were only together one night, they loved a lifetime's worth. And that's when the kid takes the picture. So Mike said that this is the visual representation, again, paraphrasing, of the bliss and remembering fondly of Kyle Reese. So the picture he's carrying around is the, let's say, you know, physical manifestation of how much she loved him. And he's just reciprocating the feeling mutually. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, I, there's sure. really no, there's really well, no so, proof or anything for that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I, mean, yeah, I, I think, I think it's it, a great interpretation, you know, and that's another reason why I love this movie. It speaks to different people on different levels. For me, I don't think there is any definitive evidence that it is the same picture in that movie. Because the only time we see it is in a possible flashback, but also dream sequence. And it just so happens to be the picture. And that could have just been because it's a prop or it could be the same picture. You know, the only other time we see it in any kind of semi-canon is with uh, on the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And that's when uh, Brian Austin Green mentions, oh, my brother carried your picture in his snap. I'd know that face anywhere. And again, we don't definitively see that it is the same picture. I mean, I mean, you could say it's the same picture. And I mean, I guess you could look at it and say, you know, how they say that the future is not set. But yet uh, she has the picture that he had. You know, she takes the picture that he had in his pocket. So maybe the future is set. You know, I mean, it could be like a, you know, goes round and round type of thing, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess it is a little creepy. I mean, you know what I mean? To walk around with some chick from the past, you know, in your pocket. But I mean, maybe if he was told by John that he's his father and that you love her and blah, 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 and maybe, you know, maybe he heard the tapes. I don't know. But that's all speculation. Once again, we don't know anything about John and Kyle and their relationship before Kyle comes back in that first movie because they don't show any of that. So that's why right. I said we only we only get, you know, in the first movie Kyle basically just talks about him as like a leader and he's just, you know, knowledgeable but he sounds like he's distant and hands off. In later movies, later things they talk like, you know, they were best friends and you find out that like he actually like rescued him from the HK but, you know, um, yeah, and then as far as, you know, the the expression on her face, I mean, you know, maybe. Um, I've, I've seen pictures of, of women in love. I've seen, you know, pictures of women, let's say, having a good time. Does it make them more physically attractive? Maybe. Does it add any kind of emotional significance? I mean, I don't know, you know. That's uh, that's definitely up to the uh, beholder in that one, I would say. And I mean, that's why that's why they call movies and stuff art because I mean, you know, you can interpret like little things like that when they don't explicitly tell you anything, you know, however you want to do it. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, just like just like just like our last conversation in the Sopranos podcast, like you know, with the end of the Sopranos, like. You know, you and me were annoyed by that, as many other people were. But some people go, oh, it's left up to your imagination. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I guess that's like the interpretation you can take with uh, this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You know and I mean? just for the record, Sarah and I are firmly in the camp of he got shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, definitely. I'm, I'm, also in, I'm also in that camp that he's, uh, you know, kaputs. So... Uh, so anyway, moving on to Terminator 2, uh, just to set the stage for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, you know, we went around the horn last time. Most of us saw this one first. This is the one that was more accessible, especially in the early 90s on home video. Uh, and it was on TV like every fucking weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, I wore out the VHS when I was like eight years old, nine years old. And then when it finally came out on DVD, uh, there was a summer when I was like 15. My best friend John and I at the time literally just watched it every day. Um, and, you know, it's a great movie. For a while, I did like it more than the original. 
then I got older and I understood, you know, good writing and better direction. And I was like, wow, the original, that's, that's the movie. But, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it is obviously a direct sequel of the original. Um, it's ambiguously set 10 years later because in certain canon, the movie takes place in 97, uh, in real time in the movie, it's 95. And they just kind of weirdly play around with that. And T3, they, they also change the date. You know, John is sometimes 10, sometimes 12, sometimes 15, or 14. Um, so this is the one where Sarah Connor off screen tried to investigate the company that would go on to create Skynet and blow up one of their labs. She gets caught. She gets arrested. Uh, the brief time she had with her son, she was raising him in like the South American jungles preparing him from the cradle to become, you know, the resistance leader. Uh, he's now with a foster family. He's, let's say, 10 years old for this movie. And Skynet somehow finds out about him in the general vicinity, which I will get to. Uh, they send a advanced prototype, which we'll get to very shortly. And again, the resistance is able to send a protector. This time, it's a reprogrammed T-800, which is Arnold from the first movie, obviously a different model. Um, and that is sent back to protect him from Roger pa Robert Patrick's T-1000, which is an advanced mimetic polyalloy, which is a shape-shifting cyborg, basically. That um, And this one is a cyborg uh, that can just take the form of anyone it touches. Um, and this one, you know, they, they ramped up the action. They ramped up the budget. This one has all the big spots, all the one-liners. Uh, it's got a kid as a lead, which in the 90s was a huge thing. And this is definitely the one that, like, everybody just goes absolutely gaga for. Uh, so let's break it down from the beginning because it starts with a phenomenal voiceover from Linda Hamilton narrating the events of what would become the war. You know, we get, we get an awesome shot of just skulls on the ground, and this is the fallout of the nuclear war. And then a Terminator endoskeleton foot just comes down, crushing a skull. And we immediately jump into the future war, which is probably the best part of the movie. Um, and we're still hoping for a good 4K upgrade because recent additions have made it look not so great. But, you know, this is definitely a thing where the effects, the miniatures, the sets, they all hold up. Um, so the voiceover continues, and we see a much older John Connor, and he's leading the resistance. Now, this is our first indication that I was right, at least in terms of one and two together. Uh, the original movie took place in 2027, and the resistance had already won. They had already captured Skynet's time grid and destroyed it. And that's why Kyle Reese said it's a one-way trip. You know, nothing else goes, nothing else comes back. Um, this timeline is different, and we're led to believe it's because of the things left behind by the original Terminator, which, again, was going to be Cameron's intended direction for the original script, for the original, there's even in deleted scenes. You know, the original movie was supposed to be about the T-1000. He obviously cut that and made it for the sequel because he said we just didn't have the effects and the budget wasn't there. Uh, it looks like we lost Justin, so hopefully he'll jump back in. But um, the Skynet war has changed, and now they did not lose to the Resistance, and they've gone on another year to build this advanced prototype. So we're, we're dealing with the landscape of a very different future, and since we're obviously in spoilers, we know the end of the movie. Uh, this John Connor, based on the events of this movie will never come to be this future will never come to be so yeah. that right there is definitive out in the open evidence that we are now in a multiple timeline you know thing here yeah and uh in the first terminator kyle says that yeah they were on the precipice of okay, victory good. that's yep. why the they sent back you know arnold to kill you know sarah because they were gonna win right but we see in you know opening a t2 they they aren't losing, it doesn't look like, but, like, you know, the war's just going on. Right. Um, so how does Skynet find out about John Connor living in, you know, real world 91, movie time 95, possibly 97? Well, here's my theory, because they all but say it in the movie, 
And again, we now have definitive proof we are in multiverse with, with changing outcomes of the future. Um, the T-1000 would have gone back in time and immediately gone after Sarah Connor if it didn't find him. No T-800, John doesn't have any reason to escape and go to the mall because... Or I'm sorry, he goes to the mall, but he, he goes, probably yeah. just gets away because the T-1000 you know, was warned there's a big guy on a bike who was looking for him. There was no sense of urgency. He would go to the mall. He wouldn't find him. The next thing he would do is he would go to Sarah Connor. So in a timeline where he didn't know where John was, the first thing he would do is go to Sarah Connor. And the T-800 basically tells John, you know, that's what I would do. And he would just kill her. So then right there, John goes to save her, which my theory is this opens up two new timelines, one in which it kills Sarah one in which John goes to save Sarah. She's still dead, but it learns that he was there. And as a result, there's a third timeline where it then is sent back and the events of the movie happen. Because otherwise, there's no possible way they would know where John Connor was in 95. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of on the idea of, uh, you know, time travel in general, that every time you go back in time, you know, the butterfly effect and stuff like that, you know, something changes, so... I mean, you know, it's kind of expected that there would be multiple timelines at this point because, you know, um, they stopped. Well, they thought they stopped um, Judgment Day in the in the first movie, but then, you know, there's that deleted scene where. Um, How would they have stopped Judgment Day in the first movie? They didn't do anything. Oh yeah, not not stop Judgment Day. Um, They've just ensured John uh, will win the war in the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. And um, that, yeah, they ensured that John would, you know, win the war and not be dead because they saved And then, um, you know, so obviously that, that timeline essentially continues. So the war is going on because obviously Judgment Day happens. And so, um, so then what would happen is now they're sending another one back because obviously John is still alive. So they probably tried to pinpoint another time in the timeline to go back and kill him. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, going to mess with the timeline. So obviously this, you know, there should be some kind of expectation that there's like this many uh, timelines, you know? Right. But what I'm saying is there's no way they would have been able to find John. So the logical thing, and even what the Terminators in the movie say is they went after Sarah and then you would figure either in the first time that happened or the second time that happened, John would find out and try to intervene, and then they would realize where John was, send a signal to the future, and, and do what they do. Well, they would know they would know where John is based on any kind of data they would have had from the past. You know, obviously they know like where, um, you know, where John is living. I mean, his name is still John Connor, so I mean, they could you know use the same idea they did with Sarah Connor when they send them back and they were looking through phone books, you know, obviously they have some kind of record of, you know, how old he is because of birth certificates and stuff, if that's still available, which I'm assuming. Right. So what, what the T-1000 does is he, he acquires a cop and he looks through the police database. And of course they didn't change John's name, but you know, I, I think it's just a writing convenience because otherwise, why wouldn't they just go after him when he was like much younger and less able to get away, but you know, whatever. Uh, maybe maybe because of him being in the foster system, maybe he did have different names or something. Who knows? Maybe he didn't have um, – maybe just when he got fostered again, you know, he changed his name to John Connor. I don't know. Maybe they found Sarah Connor was locked up, and so they figured he might be in that general area. I don't know. They don't really go into that kind of specifics. Once yeah. again, it's kind of one of those things where it's all speculation. you got to kind of figure it out for yourself, kind of like in the first one. Yeah, but so anyway, um, we were talking about with the extended edition, it adds about, I don't know, another like 40, 50 minutes onto the movie. It's worth it, but um, so the first main thing we get, well, first we have our, our whole fake out where Arnold's Terminator comes back, and if you hadn't seen the trailer, you might think that he was still a bad guy, and he just goes through this bar and wreck shop to uh, George Thurgood's Bad to the Bone, gets his sunglasses, <laughs> and then rides off, yeah. and you know. You get your, your classic line, I need your clothes, your boots, your motorcycle. And, uh, of course, he goes for his trademark sunglasses again because, you know, 
sunglasses at night on a robot. Why not? And I, I love how there is even a scene and a line in the movie where he's driving without sunglasses. And Sarah says, you know, can you see anything? And then you see from his eyes and it's, everything's just in, you know, infrared. And he goes, I see everything. Um, so oh, we, we oh, even, like, even then, really, they, uh, what? Even then, even then they knew that, uh, you know, signature, uh, signature outfits or signature stuff hits a nostalgia thing. Even, you know, a, a, a sequel eight years after the first one was made, which you see nowadays, it's like, you know, oh, here's Luke, here's Han, you know, stuff like that, and all these other reboots and sequels and such. So, hey, you know, Jim Cameron knew what he was talking about back then to get people's nostalgia thing going. Hey, the Terminator's got to have sunglasses because he had that in the first one. Oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it makes sense. From the standpoint of an advanced robot trying to be inconspicuous, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, so, yeah, there's this really long, drawn out cat and mouse that especially the extended edition goes for about almost the first 45 minutes. Uh, and then it culminates when they both get to the mall and you have Arnold walks in with the uh, classic Guns and Roses where he's hiding the shotgun in this giant box of flowers uh, because Guns and Roses obviously did the theme song for the movie in the music video with uh, You Could Be Mine. And um they have their fight in the mall. People start taking pictures. They set up how this is the same guy from 1984. Uh, and then those pictures make their way to Sarah. And that's when she plans her escape. Now, in the extended edition, first, she has a dream about Kyle Reese and the end of the world. And he's telling her, like, you know, you have to find John. John's all alone. He's not protected. Uh, so then that spurs on her escape. Yeah. But and what about Sarah? Arnold's Terminator coming back, she never would have tried to escape, which I think, again, in this original timeline of the T2 event, T-1000 just went and got her. Yeah. Uh, On Sarah, she has, like, the first time we see her in the movie is, like, one of my all-time favorite, like, first shots of a character in a movie when she's just uh, in her cell, doing the pull-ups, like, the way she turns around, the camera pans in on her face. So mm-hmm. good. Oh, yeah. And this is a, a much different Linda Hamilton. She was in crazy shape. And uh, the the rumor is she had even taken some steroids for this one. <laughs> was, she, uh, was she banging Jim Cameron at this time or not? I think they were either married or already divorced. Ah. Uh. I mean, the man's been uh, divorced, like, what, five times? King. What a king. So it sets up this really cool dynamic where, you know, you think, like, okay, Sarah's going to become the main character again. Because John isn't really the main character. The T-800 kind of is. And then Sarah after him. Um, and then instead what happens is, the Terminator becomes more and more human, which this is the part that either does work or definitely doesn't work for people. Um, and then Sarah oh. becomes more like the Terminator. And the best scene besides the Kyle Reese dream that was cut out is after they, they get John, and we'll, we'll back up a little bit to the escape because that's great. Um, you know, he's been all damaged. The Terminator's been all damaged. She's been shot and cut up and uh, they, they go to this like little storage unit and just break in and and start doing like you know home surgery which is a great callback to the first movie and this is where the terminator talks about the control chip in his head and how if you basically move a little switch he's able to learn human emotion now first of all he should have been able to do this all the time this is what their models are designed for and we even saw him do it in the first movie um but this is, you know, our, our first instance of John going to be the leader. And he has this great back and forth with Sarah. And he, he's like, you know, how can I ever get anyone to listen to me? My mom, own mom won't listen to me. And she's got like this sledgehammer. She's ready to smash the chip because they finally have it out. Uh, and then she dramatically hits the table and she's like, OK, fine, we'll play it your way. And then they turn him back on and he's just like, was there a problem? Which he never would have known that, but it, it's good for a laugh and it plays. Uh, and this is actually something that they did carry over into the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So, you know, this became definite canon of, of how to turn them on and off and reprogram them. 
Uh, and it does come into play later in the movie. So before that, they, they do hit uh, Pescadero Mental Hospital, which is where she's holed up. And uh, there's just this great, you know, break in and John and the Terminator come in through the back elevator. She's already made her escape at this point. She has no idea what the T-1000 is or, or that it even is after her. And she's running down the hallway and she just sees the Terminator holding the shotgun, wearing the sunglasses. And she just completely like gives up and falls on the floor and you know, starts going into a full-on panic. The, the orderlies that were chasing her are able to finally catch her. And uh, he just comes in and, and starts throwing people into the wall. And, you know, this one chick breaks his glasses. And that's when he just gets pissed off and pushes her face first into the wall. Meanwhile, the T-1000, who had hit the hospital on the other side, just been killing people left and right. Uh, he just moves through the bars. And that's when Dr. Soberman from the first movie, who's now her like primary caregiver or lack thereof, sees this happen and, and just realizes, like, holy shit, it's all real. And uh, again, he survives and he does come back in T3 and the character comes back in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And, uh, you know, then we have our elevator chase where this, you know, made it into like every Resident Evil game ever, basically. And the uh, T-1000 is able to make like these giant blades and it's just stabbing through the ceiling and they're shooting at it. And then um, he chases them through the parking garage doing his patent uh, Robert Patrick run. And uh, then the movie kind of grinds to a halt right then and there, because if there isn't the Miles Dyson subplot, the movie's over and they just go to Mexico. Uh, and then again, the extended edition makes this better because we get an introduction to Miles Dyson and how he's building the box, which is reverse engineered off of the control chip they found. And the box is basically just a really large size version of that. And he's talking about how, you know, it's going to revolutionize everything. And his wife is saying, you know, you've been neglecting your real kids. And he's like, all right, fine. We'll, we'll I'll, I'll take a break. We'll go to the water park. Uh, and that's cut out of the theatrical. Because the next time we see them is Dyson at work when he, you know, sees the, the chip in the arm, which is weird. Like, he acts like he's never seen them before. Uh, and then when she finally gets to his house. So from there, a lot like the first one, they set up, you know, plot convenience events where a T-1000 just happens to hear something on the radio and it's like, oh, they're at Cyberdyne. Oh, they're here. And he knows where to go. Um, Sarah gets the rundown from the Terminator about, you know, who creates Skynet, when and where. And they go to Enrique in Mexico where John teaches the Terminator how to smile and, um, you know, you, you get my favorite line probably in, in movie history because it's so true of us today where John sees two little kids just shooting at each other at like a rest stop with, you know, toy cap guns. And he just turns to the Terminator and says, we're not going to make it. Humanity, I mean. And the Terminator just goes, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's basically my outlook on humanity. So. Well, I was going to say it kind of is. <laughs> yep. But, uh, I mean, going back a few things, uh, the whole Miles Dyson thing, like, it makes sense um, for them to have the Miles Dyson subplot because, um, I mean, you know, the whole point of this is, like, to try to, um, you know, I guess stop Judgment Day from happening, hence, like, uh, you know, I mean, I know the original point of the movie is getting killed, but... If they can also go and stop Cyberdyne from happening and Skynet from happening and stuff like that, I mean, obviously they would take the opportunity, which is what they prove in that subplot. So I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, save them, go to Mexico, hide them for decades or whatever. But then, like, why even make the move? So I mean, you know, so I guess, I mean, I guess it does make sense at a point. I mean, I kind of wish they had included a little more of the Miles Dyson stuff in the theatrical because i really like that part but uh oh you know it absolutely makes sense i mean you know from from they from the opening frame she's trying to change the future and that's where the whole no fate message comes in you know john sees it scratched into the picnic table and he he does some horrible exposition of the terminator and she's like you know no fate this is something my dad's phrase from what you know reese said in the first movie and basically what john's actually said in his in his letter through Reese, but you know, she always believed she could change the future and that it was worth it to try. I mean, that's why she was locked up in the first place. 
John didn't seem to care, and he was basically, I mean, he didn't believe her until the movie happened. Um, and then he was well, like, I, mean, I guess, you know, we're, we're just making up history as we go along. So they go to Dyson, they explain everything, and, uh, you know, as we said last time, you definitely see the Terminator has blood, but I don't know, this Terminator just seemed different, and I wonder if they built them different in this timeline, or Cameron just didn't want to hold on to the attention to detail because it would screw up the line, but, you know, in the first movie, they're talking about how they have bad breath, and they can sweat, and they can do, like, anything a human can do, and this one, the fucking thing is like, I can't cry, but it's programmed to cry, so... You know, whatever. Well, cause probably because um, they realize that this thing isn't really a cyborg, like me and John were talking about in the last one. That you know, he can't really cry because it doesn't really have tear ducts. And no, but it, I mean, it, it was programmed to have, even if it's synthetic tear ducts, it can do that. Is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, you know, even, even it if it has synthetic blood, it has fluids in it that it can excrete, and it, it just this one, you know, doesn't know how to fucking smile. It didn't know how to learn I'll be back. The first one just said that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and then going back to the whole, like, uh, John uh, not believing the whole, like, future and the fate and everything that Kyrie told Sarah. I mean, first of all, the kid's, like, 10 years old. So, obviously, he's going to be like, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit, you know, whatever, that I'm, I'm going to save the world, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, no, no 10-year-old. I guess realistically would think that. I mean, sure, if you're like playing, you know, superheroes or something, sure. Oh, I'll go save the world. But I mean, you know, now that he's, you know, at this robot and he's being attacked by a robot that can create a big knife thing with his arm, uh, you know, probably starts getting to the kid that, oh, maybe this is real. Right. No, I know. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, my, my point about the Miles Dyson thing, like, it makes sense in the context of the story. I'm just saying in context of the overall story with the T-1000 cat and mouse thing, like the, the plot just grinds to a halt and has nowhere to go because at that point they're home free. And then it's like, Oh, we got to go to Dyson. So it makes sense. He goes there. And then by the time he gets there, there just so happens to be a report on the, on the radio, you know, there's a fire at Cyberdyne or there's terrorists at Cyberdyne. Yeah. I feel like with the extended, it really all meshes together pretty much seamlessly. I, I feel um, yeah, no, I, I agree. The extended is definitely the better version, as you know they usually are, except in the case of Zack Snyder. <laughs> Which actually, I was going to bring up. Uh, Miles Dyson does return as a a different uh, cybernetic scientist in that one. <laughs> okay, so I I was hoping that John would be here for this one. You're absolutely right; he does. He's Silas uh, Stone, but. I, you know, I never know actors, so forgive me. Uh, whoever plays Miles Bennett Dyson is the star of a horrible, horrible 80s movie called Brother from Another Planet. So my parents, my parents got married in 1985, and there is a very terrible home wedding video that, like, you know, my Uncle Ralph shot. And uh, at some point, as people did in the late 80s, early 90s, part of this tape was used to record a movie. And that movie just so happened to be Brother from Another Planet. So flash forward to their 25th anniversary. I grab this wedding tape that no one has watched, probably ever in its entirety, and definitely not in over 20 years. And I said, you know, they do this thing now where, like, you send them a tape and they'll just put the whole thing on DVD and they'll do, like, all these cute highlights of, you know, cutting the cake and the first dance. And this will be a nice <laughs> present for them. So I send it off to this thing. I think it was through, like, CVS or Walgreens. And they send me back the DVD. Like, a good person who wants to go over things and make sure it's edited properly, I sat down and I actually watched it. And first I watched the highlight reel. So I'm watching it. And sure enough, first dance, cutting of the cake, you know, greeting relatives, opening presents. Then I start seeing these movie trailers and I'm like, what the fuck happened here? So I go into the actual video and it's like three and a half hours, four hours. It's like, why is this wedding video so fucking long? And as I get to the end of the wedding, everybody's sitting around back a couple days later at my grandparents' house opening presents. And then it goes to a blue screen and then this fucking title crawl comes up and it's this brother from another planet. At some point, my grandfather taped over my parents' wedding to record this god-awful fucking movie starring Miles Bennett Dyson. And when I sent it off to the wedding place, 
they went through and put together this whole highlight reel and they, they supposedly sit there and watch the whole thing and they must have done it and must have thought it was like a joke because the things that they cut were so, you know, standout moments from the movie. I thought it was a legitimate trailer. So my, my parents' wedding DVD has Brother from Another Planet spliced into it. Wow. <laughs> Oh man, that's hilarious! I think I think that's actually a plot of like a sitcom or something, right? Like, I mean, it, it's totally like something George Costanza would do. <laughs> so yeah, that that is my uh, my fondest memory of Miles Bennett Tyson. Well, there you go. If you ever meet him at a con, yeah, right. You can tell. Yeah. You got a story. But yeah, the uh, back to the the Cyberdyne thing. I mean, it's it's a really cool thing. I think it definitely. Inspired a lot of mid to late 90s video game missions. Uh, basically, they go in and they only check for one security guard and immediately their cover is blown. And they're just going in to just destroy all the research and grab the claw and the chip. And um, there's, you know, early in the movie, Eddie Furlong's John Connor has like this little device he's using to hack ATMs, even though he only ever steals like 300 bucks. You know, there's probably like 50 grand in every ATM. And um, they're locked out of the codes. And he's like, oh, I can crack this because, you know, <laughs> kid hacker 1991. Um, so he's able to do that. And then, you know, Sarah and Miles, who had this begrudging, like, frenemies bit. And uh, they're, they're learning to work together. She's starting to appreciate everything he's literally sacrificing for her. And they're just, like, both pinned down in, in the clean room. And uh, the Terminator busts through the wall and just makes, you know, an exit for her. He gets shot. And basically he's, you know, she, she committed him to this suicide mission and he's like, okay, I guess we just do this through. Um, and he's got this really dramatic over the top death scene and like basically blows up all the cops in the building. But there's this great moment where John sees the monitor and or he looks out the window. He's like, we got cops. And she's like, how many? And he goes, all of them, I think. I mean, that's something I, I say all the time. Uh, there's a lot of one liners from this movie. I, I say quite often. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh yeah, of course. Because you know, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, which at that at, at this point in 1991, he'd already done so many action movies. He had created so many one-liners from After Terminator with the I'll Be Back, and every movie he was in, everybody needed some kind of one-liner. So this was kind of like a crescendo at that point of action scenes, you know, explosions, you know, all that kind of crap. You know what I mean? So you know, it couldn't just be a simple snag and grab you know, and uh, run away type of movie. I mean, you know, you had to have explosions, excitement, drama, you know. Yeah, there's there's no Asta La Vista baby in the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, that's because John Connor has to teach him all that. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I I thought was kind of funny, uh, the only time we see the Terminator endoskeleton entirely is in the beginning in the future war during voiceover. And the reason for this, and I looked it up, is because people thought it looked so fucking scary and evil that saw Arnold looking like that, they wouldn't buy him as the good guy. So throughout the movie, especially after the Cyberdyne, you know, he gets really fucked up, he's shot to pieces, and basically you just see part of the metal skull on half of his face, which uh, goes on to inspire the cyborg Superman which is really just the Terminator Superman at first. And um, you see the, the glowing red eye. Uh, and then he has, you know, a series of fights with the T-1000. They steal this really shitty thing that has like a little mini house on it. Um, that's the last of the car. They kill the T-1000's helicopter. And then there's a truck of liquid nitrogen. He shoots him. It's when he drops the Asta La Vista line. And from then on, the T-1000 reforms, but it's all fucked up, which unfortunately they cut out of the theatrical because it actually makes a lot more sense when they figure out that it's, in fact, the T-1000. Uh, in the extended, everything that he touches from that point on, he just slowly starts to become involuntarily, and he gets, like, really pissed off and frustrated at it. And it's, again, you know, I just love the quirky personality and mannerisms of all things Skynet because Robert Patrick just embodies it as if you know it's it's skynet in human form which we do unfortunately see in terminator genesis but um so they end up 
almost like in the first one, it's a factory. And then, you know, in the deleted scenes, we find out it's Cyberdyne. And this one, they're at a steel mill. And um, there's final cat and mouse chase through there. Terminator and T-1000 have this fight. And the T-1000 actually finally kills him. Uh, and again, this goes to the extended edition from when they reprogrammed him. Because the way that he's able to come back is he reroutes for alternate power from that reprogram. The implication is if they hadn't done that, he just would have been fucking dead. And we get the uh, the Terminator lightning signifying that he is dead. Um, so then, you know, he, he gets like this metal, I guess, girder, like just driven through him. And that's the final thing that, that just shuts him down. Um, and then he reroutes and he's able to pull it out and pull it through. And the music builds and he's had this grenade launcher. And at this point, I think he's got one round left. So we're down to Sarah and John and they get separated and she gets stabbed and the T-1000 replicates her. And that's actually her twin sister. I thought it was always just a split screen. Um, in the extended edition, you could see that again, he's like touching the metal floor and his legs are turned into that in the top half of Sarah Connor. And that's how, you know, they're able to know it's not her. Uh, so she shoots him over to the edge with the shotgun. And then right as he's about to fall over into the molten steel, which again goes on to inspire Resident Evil, um, you know, he's able to shrug off the bullets. And every time he gets like these squib holes that just magically heal. And I mean, it's one of the coolest effects ever. It still holds up. And uh, then the Terminator comes up the whatever the fuck the conveyor belt and shoots him with the grenade launcher. And then it just explodes him open. And, uh, and it looks just out of uh, Bishop getting cut in half in Aliens, which, of course, was also Cameron. And then he just falls into the molten steel and uh, ends up mimicking, like, everything that he ever took on before finally becoming, like, his true form and just dissipating in the steel. Uh, and then we get, you know, another comedy one-liner from Arnold, who's just completely destroyed at this point. He's missing an arm. His face is all fucked up. Half of his hair is gone. It's riddled with bullets and God knows what else. And he just says, I need a vacation. And then uh, he decides that he can't self-terminate, which, you know, completely goes out the window in, in future movies. And um, they have to lower him down into the steel to, to finally destroy all evidence of Skynet. And then with that ending, you know, the war has been prevented. So Terminator 2 ends with a possible deleted ending of, you know, August 29th, 1997 comes and goes. She says Michael Jackson turned 50. Um, she got drunk. And then it's the far future. And John is a senator and has a daughter. And she says, you know, now he's a different kind of leader. And he fights his battles on the floor of the U.S. Senate to prevent anything like Skynet from ever happening. Um, that obviously wasn't the ending they went with. They have the unknown future of them going down the highway. But as of the end of this movie, they have prevented the 1997, therefore preventing the whole Judgment Day future we saw in the beginning of this movie. Should have stuck with old old woman uh, Sarah. As the I mean, her, her franchise. makeup looks fucking terrible. <laughs> Yeah, it looks it looks bad, but yeah, it does. I, I do like the uh, almost like cheesiness of how bad that scene kind of looks for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would. I mean, I get it made a ton of money. I would just ended it there, where we just have you know T one, T two, Sarah Connor Chronicles, and that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, Sarah Connor Chronicles came after. T3 and a lot of elements of Sarah Connor Chronicles are taken from T3. True. True. Um, I mean, T3, not that great. Salvation, awful. Haven't seen the two newest ones, but not heard good things. Oh my god, are they uh, awful, man. You, yeah, like, you, you gotta you, watch Genesis. Don't watch, don't watch Woke Fate, but watch Genesis. I, I have heard Dark Fate just basically undoes this entire movie that we've been talking well, about. Well, it does, but then it does its own stupid-ass movie, and it doesn't make any sense. You know, so uh, like, you know that what happens in the beginning of, of Woke Fate is the there's another Terminator... And it just blows away John Connor like the next day or like six months later. Um, and I have Sarah seen that. Left, scene, like, yeah. Sarah's just left like, you know, what was the point of all this? I hate you. Skynet no longer exists as a result. 
But there's another thing that's identical to Skynet that sends back Terminators. And every time a Terminator comes back, the Terminator that killed her son tips her off. So she goes and kills it. And then there's no more Skynet and there's no more Terminators. And there's this new thing. But it also makes Terminators. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And then the rest of the movie is just terrible. Uh, it's, it's basically just a really lazy, no effort, reboot, remake, trying to be like, you know, the 90s were bad, the 80s were worse, and, uh, you know, everything should be stupid now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, Genesis is just incompetent on a level of you at least laugh. It's, it's terrible. Um, so the only other thing we didn't really mention is this movie... Uh, definitely falls into sequel syndrome, but it's so well directed and acted that no one ever seems to have a problem with it. Uh, like Ghostbusters 2, it basically just repeats all of the beats of the first one, but with tone, you know, you have your interrogation scene and, and she's going off on Dr. Silverman versus Kyle Reese doing it. You have your factory versus steel mill, There's a lot more car chases and action and things in this one because of the budget. Um, your Cyberdyne hit versus the police station hit. And obviously that's, you know, way bigger. Um, and then the, the added thing is we do get, at least in a dream, we get Sarah's vision of the nuclear war. And I mean, it's still one of the best scenes ever shot. Yeah. And, uh, going off like things kind of repeating, possibly my favorite scene in the whole movie is when she almost kills Miles at his house. Yeah. And, um, like you were saying earlier, that she's kind of becoming the Terminator and and repeating, you know, beats from the first movie. You know, she basically is becoming the person who she's going to kill an innocent person to prevent a possible future, which is, you know, what the Terminator was trying to do in the first movie. You know, kill her to prevent, you know, the future threat. Right. And at the time, you know, she's basically dressed like a Terminator. She's even got the sunglasses. She's got a hat. She's wearing like a fucking vest. And, uh... We, we get the, the great Eddie Furlong delivery of, she's going to blow him away. <laughs> hey, you either live, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Uh, you, you know, you either become like the hottest 90s action star ever or you live long enough to become Eddie Furlong in the Night of the Demons remake where he's just drunk and on drugs and literally leaning on Monica Kina before he went home and beat the shit out of her. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, you know, that's what happened to you him. Can, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's. Uh, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the saddest thing I've ever seen is when solo Andy Signor, after his self comeback, went to like a, a con or something and, and is doing an interview with Eddie Furlong. And it's like three years ago, so it's really, really bad, Eddie Furlong. And he just looks at Andy Signor, and he's like, you know, I'll suck you off if you can get me a part in a movie. Uh, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> That's on video. Go look that one up, kids. Popcorn Planet. There you go. Oh, boy. And but, was... uh, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. What's about uh, the whole... Um, uh, Sarah Connor thing, like uh, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Never mind. <laughs> It'll come back to me. All right. Well, uh, now, now, yeah, there's, there's a lot of just really cool one-liners, action moments, <laughs> and uh, you know, most people think it's it's the perfect sequel. A lot of people have it as their favorite sequel of all time. Uh, I've I've seen arguments for it against you know Empire Strikes Back, Godfather Two, um, you know it's 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 a damn fine movie. I I enjoy it. You know I've seen it like I said many many times, almost probably as many as the original, and only things like Ghostbusters or Ghostbusters Two. But uh, for me, the original is just far and away the better movie. Uh, this one is probably definitely the more entertaining one. But, you know, yeah, especially on rewatch. I mean, even with the extended edition, yes, it makes it a better movie. But holy fuck, is it long? And there are parts that will drag. I mean, you know, if you've seen it a hundred times. You will find yourself fast forwarding and being like, well, I don't need this 10 minute bit. 
I think the T2 has better action, and I think Cameron's direction got better, but I think the writing's better in one. Yeah. That's yeah, I what I would that. say. Well, I think the I think the main problem that comes in here is like we've been talking about with all these timelines and nonsense. I mean, you know, you kind of get sucked into that, so that's probably where the writing, you know, drags a little bit. But I will say that I'm probably differ from you two, where this is my favorite of the Terminators, um, and it uh, it's not my favorite sequel of all time, uh, but it is it is uh, my favorite of of these movies. But who knows? Maybe that's just probably because I saw this one first who knows but you know it's it's one of those things where like you know I like I like the action aspect more than what they were doing in the first one you know what I mean like I'm more of like a action movie type of thing so I mean well, obviously I mean, as yeah. I got older I kind of as I got older I kind of respected the first one a lot more because of like the questions it was asking and you know the, the, the thriller aspect of it or whatever but um, but yeah, I definitely would say the first one is uh, my favorite of uh, of all the Terminators. I mean, my yeah. second the uh, second one is my favorite of all the Terminators. Yeah, and with the first one, you know, Cameron he wasn't going for an action movie. You know, no. he was going for like a sci-fi, you know, thriller. Like he even said, it was in, he was inspired by like slasher films with like uh-huh. POV shots. And yeah, the second one, he's clearly clearly just going for like big action film. And hey, he pulls it off like. Amazing, you know, never bet against James Cameron. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he definitely honed his craft with aliens and then the abyss, and he's like, I have the technology, I can build it. Uh, literally, <laughs> um, the first time when Arnold shoots the uh, the other Terminator in the mall, aside, I think that shot when like you see the Terminator regenerating, I think that shot kind of doesn't look that good by today's standards, but other than that, I think. Almost every special effect in T2 holds up like pretty much like perfectly to today. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I just, I always loved his little like, you know, squibs that open up and then just close up and heal. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, Jim, Jim Cameron is a, a hell of a director. You know, he's, uh, he's my favorite. And, uh, he's, he's an absolute fucking crazy person. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I love him. He'd be up there. For, he's yeah, definitely he's, up there. He, he could be my favorite director if he had more good movies, like more movies. That's, I mean, he's got a I lot. Think, but yeah, he's probably, no, I, I hear what you're he's saying. probably top like, five for me. Because he's, I think he's, I mean, I would say less than like, what, 10 movies he's directed from? No, no way. Like, yeah. uh, okay, Piranha, uh, Terminator, Piranha 2, Terminator, Aliens, Aliens The Abyss, okay. T2, True Titanic. Lies, Titanic, Avatar. Avatar. Wow, that's it? Yeah. Oh well, and, and the stupid ocean thing. Well, <laughs> well, the uh, the thirty uh, Avatar sequels that'll bring it up to about twenty or so. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, when he he's coming for the uh, all time, you know, box office record again <laughs> with all 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 four sequels. <laughs> I mean, he's he's also got the unofficial semi directing on uh, Battle Beyond the Stars, Galaxy of Terror, and uh, Forbidden World. Yeah, true. He, he did direct. Uh, he did direct my uh, favorite. Um, well, T two Battle Across is my, Time. Is it? Is it my? Is it my favorite Arnold movie? Well, definitely one of my favorite Arnold movies. Probably top like two. True Lies. Uh, True Lies. True Lies. Yeah, that's that's that is, pretty that good. Is, that is an awesome badass movie. I love that movie so much. But uh, so, yeah, yeah, he's definitely in my top five for sure for directors okay. and stuff like. that. I mean, I'm not a fan of uh, the Avatar movie, but um, some stuff, you know, I uh, I like a lot from him. But does not Avatar. like his Smurfs with wolves. <laughs> the the um, Avatar thing is just like you know, that's a that's a different that's a different subject for a different day, I guess. Yeah, we're we'll we're never Avatar two next year. We're we're never if, if these movies ever come out, maybe we'll do an Avatar, but I, nobody wants to do that. Um, if you want so, to touch on the uh, possibility of Titanic, um, you know, being uh, what, uh, related to the movies. No, I, I want to touch on T2 Battle Across Time. Did anyone else ever see that? Uh, yeah, I think I saw it on YouTube or something. So it's, it's the live-action 3D stunt show at Universal Studios. 
and Cameron shot this whole future war thing, and there is a T1 million, which is just a giant liquefied spider, and it's glorious. Uh, and you get these really terrible stand-ins for Linda Hamilton and Eddie Furlong, who just come out and run across the stage and start shooting like these proto T one hundreds. Is it Definitely like look that a... up on YouTube if you haven't seen it? It's it'll it's incredible. It's the ride, like at a what Universal, right? I mean, it's not really a ride. It's, well, it's a, like three like... D stunt show, but yeah. No, I've never seen that. I'll have to look it up. It's probably like 15 minutes, but it, it's it's glorious. I think they actually put it on the uh, one of the extended edition releases back in the day, uh, the, the big uh, ultimate edition one they did. Yeah, I think um, I think it's on the Blu-ray. I have. I just don't. Yeah. I just don't tend to watch it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's cool. You know, I kind of wish would have been able to go to you know, Universal or something like that when I was a kid or whatever to go see that or whatever, but, you know. Oh, yeah, we, we were at Disney Vacation Club, so I was there, like, every year. It was great. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, the only other thing that I would mention about this movie is it had Budnick from Salute Your Shorts, and he gets written out of the movie by being shoved into an arcade machine. So my headcanon is he went down and fucking killed him. And uh, uh, also, oh, and, and the, the little girl, right, not so little girl, but I guess teenage girl that the T-1000 asked if she saw John Connor is played by Nikki Cox in her first role. And he has gone oh, yeah, on to say, done. other people have gone on to say that she is supposed to be Catherine Brewster, who becomes his wife in the third movie. Yeah, I've seen that before. I've seen that theory. Interesting. I haven't heard that one. Captain Brewster. Hashtag Mike Kripke's basement. <laughs> but hey, so, I, I yeah, can't, we will. We can't, uh, hold on, we can't end this without me bringing up a reference to Chuck, like I did in the last one when Linda Hamilton. In this movie, uh, there are two more co-stars of Chuck that are in this movie. Uh, Big Mike, who is one of the uh, nurses at the hospital. Big fat black guy that like uh, I think is it Arnold? Arnold kills him, or I forget who kills him, but somebody uh-huh. kills him. And um, also uh, Robert Patrick, he is also in that movie. I mean, in that show. Well, there you go. The only other thing I've seen Robert Patrick in besides Die Hard Two is um, Sons of Anarchy. He showed up in like the last two seasons, but yeah. Oh, yeah. oh and one, one final thing, John wanted on the record. Uh, All about the bones. Two- yeah, he took issue where Linda Hamilton says there's 215 bones. He said there's 206. I had heard anywhere from 203 to 207. We looked it up. Apparently, infants are born with up to 270. And then they all just kind of, like, get absorbed uh, fucking basket case style. And we go down to, like, 195 and then 206. And someone apparently Googled, like, I have 188 bones. How do I get to 206? Like, they're collecting Pokemon. <laughs> Hey, you gotta, gotta catch, catch them all. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> On that note, uh, this has been fun. We have uh, we've covered T two. I think mainly just John and I are going to riff on T three and probably talk about the Sarah Connor Chronicles. If anybody wanted to come back for that, you're more than welcome. And you mean uh, uh, you mean T three uh, Arnold's last hurrah before becoming the governor? Uh, I mean, rise of the machines. Mm. Yeah. So, in any event, I will uh, I will catch you guys later, and uh, you know we'll we'll do something soon. I believe something about a Mr. Bond. Bond. Yeah, I know. I know. John likes to uh, kind of mention all the ones that were going to be coming up or whatever. We got James Bond in the in the future. Um, Bond and I don't know if uh, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, I don't know if Josh is still here. Josh and me, we are, and I think uh, at some point we'll get back to the graveyard, which was planned for a while, and. Uh, I'm sure there's some other ones that we lurking around the corner. No, I don't think we're hitting Braveheart before November because we still got all the October nah. stuff. John wanted yeah. to do with Crow. So if you guys have or haven't seen oh, it, you're invited. Just 
find a copy. And uh, I really hope he doesn't know that Eddie Furlong is the star of the fourth one. <laughs> I'll just uh, I'll just dress up as Crow Sting. There you go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've got my daily thirty-one days of horror. We're up to day seven, and uh, that'll keep rolling right to the thirty-first. And then uh, obviously new releases. I think Dune is yeah. uh, one of them. I think Brendan had brought that up. Yep. Um, yep. Josh, you, Josh you and I we have to do the the Lynch Dune. Yeah, I got to rewatch it at some point over the next week or two, but I'll get yeah, to that. Same. All right, guys. I think, all uh, right. I think that's all on the future stuff, and you know. See you guys in the next timeline. Thanks I'm for in. coming. Later.